Hey everybody, as you probably know, we are in the midst of a global pandemic of COVID-19. All touring for this foreseeable future has completely stopped. And if you'd like to help out the touring crew that had lost out on a lot of work, please visit show-logistics.com and we're going to be donating all of the profits from the merch sold on the first page directly to Crew Nation, which is going to help touring industry professionals that need to get through the next couple months until we're back on the road again. And anything you can do to help would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Hey everybody, welcome to Bus Call, the podcast dedicated to touring industry professionals and their stories. My name is Ryan Goldbacher and I'm going to be your host. In these interviews, we're going to break down how touring professionals got into the industry, advice they have for up-and-comers, and awesome stories from the road. For more info, visit us at show-logistics.com and click on the Bus Call podcast at the top of the page. Alright everybody, I want to welcome Damon Johnson. Uh, I got to meet him when I was doing front of house for a band called Black Star Riders. He's also a guitar player in Thin Lizzy. He's a founding member of the band Brother Kane. He's also played with Alice Cooper, to play with Sammy Hagar, Faith Hill. Damon Johnson, welcome to Bus Call. How's it going, buddy? Mr. Ryan Goldbacher. Brother, thank you for... Uh having me on how are you doing i'm doing great dude same here thanks for being willing to do this i'm looking forward to it man my pleasure well hey i know kind of the story of damon johnson but i want to start even before the story that i know obviously you you were a founding member for a really successful rock band in the 90s uh, brother kane where did it all start for you when did you find out you wanted to be in the music business and when did it really become a, a career option for you you know the the fun thing for me about your question is I can say, honestly, the idea that I could ever be a professional musician, you know, get paid money to play music just was unfathomable to me. I just thought it was like a magic trick or something, right? When I would see people on television or when I was certainly going to see my first concerts when I was 14 or 15, you know, it was just like a dream. It's like, no. Well, those people are, are gods and goddesses, and I don't have what they have, so I'll just go to concerts for the rest of my life, and it'll be great. So, but I fell in love with the guitar. I started playing with my friends, just garage bands and a high school band. We were in a talent show, the usual thing. Right after, I guess I was still in junior college, it was as if I got an offer to play in one bigger band and then a bigger band than that asked me to play and it was just like this weird stepladder Ryan that that happened almost by accident it, it wasn't like I was soliciting myself I was just I just wanted to play guitar and, and, and be in a good band and learning songs and practicing and you know all, all the bands that I loved are the same you know it was it was Zeppelin and ACDC and and Kiss and Leonard Skinner and Van Halen was a life changer. I saw them 10 times easily. You know, I was obsessed with, with Van Halen. And my parents were really musical. I grew up around a lot of country music, a lot of blues and gospel. So all that stuff was in there as well. So unbeknownst to me, I guess I was kind of a, a weird mutt of musical, <laughs> of musical influences. Wait, yeah, but dude, that that's where the genres start. Blending of uh, 
you know, all, all different kinds of music. And music you listened to growing up is nothing like the music Brother Kane did, but there's influences in there and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the older I've gotten and as my career has continued, the more I do see that as uh, a blessing. You know, like that was a good thing that I wasn't just some other long-haired guy taking his shirt off trying to sing like Robert Plant or somebody with a Floyd Rose and finger-tapping solos constantly trying to be Eddie Van Halen. Uh, I was into that as well as all the other stuff. And But yeah, man, it's so bizarre for me to even be sitting here today talking with you and kind of looking back. And it was still just not fathomable in my brain that I could make a living playing music. And as I sit here at my house in Nashville today talking to you, man, I've, I've been a professional for over 30 years now. It's just crazy to even say that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, and to your point about how I got to being a full-time professional, I was literally the guitar player in a house band in a tiny town in northeast Alabama. And it was just this random occurrence that we had an opportunity to play this popular venue in Birmingham. Birmingham was the big city, Birmingham, Alabama. It was like they had a no cover charge night there every, I think it was every Monday and Tuesday. So we got to do the Monday, Tuesday. If we had not have played there, then I would not have caught the attention of a singer from an established band They'd already had a record deal. They had a song on the radio. You know, they were a regional popular act. So if it hadn't have been for that totally random thing, not that I wouldn't have gotten there eventually, but it definitely turbocharged my profile. And they asked me to join their band, which I did because I was, you know, like I say, they were popular. I was like, what? These guys want me to be their guitar player? You know, even my parents had heard their songs on the radio. So... I was in a songwriting setting. I was in a studio setting. This band was playing every weekend consistently. You know, they were a popular regional act in the clubs and stuff like that. I think it was then and only then that I finally went, okay, well, I must really, I must be pretty good. If these guys are asking me to play with them, then yeah, I'm, I'm starting to connect the dots on some stuff. So, but it was still another, I guess, five years before I got Brother Kane off the ground. So, so that kind of leads me into my next question because, you know, the story most people know of you starts with Brother Kane. But, uh, I mean, what what was your first tour, whether it's like a van tour or just going out for a week, hitting up clubs? What did that entail and how did that work for you? Well, when you, when you ask me that question, the first memory I have is one of my early club bands, bar bands. I guess the thing I remember as being a legitimate tour is we had to lease a bus, this beat up piece of shit bus to drive from Fort Payne, Alabama to Alamogordo, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Two, I, two of my favorite cities. <laughs> yeah, right. So, man, I don't even know that we played two other places on the way out there. You know, I think because these were older guys I was playing with. And I remember the one dude that was sort of in charge. I remember now sort of this desperation in his voice. Like, look, we got this killer offer to go play this great venue in Alamogordo. Well, 
Long story short, bro, we never even made it there. The bus <laughs> broke down. It was just a, it was a colossal disaster. But I remember being jubilant, man, to, you know, pack my suitcase, you know, put extra guitar strings in my backpack. I even, uh, I even made like this homemade little like wooden flight case, you know, to put my amp head in so it wouldn't, you know, hopefully get damaged, that kind of stuff. That was, and, and I'm telling you, man, I haven't thought about that moment maybe since it happened, you know, as you asking me this question, you know, in my mind, it's like, all right, we're doing it. You know, we're, we're getting on a bus, we're hitting the road. But um, other than just, you know, a lot of weekend warrior stuff and playing regionally around the southeast, which a lot of times, man, were places you could drive home after the gig. You could play in Atlanta, then drive back to Birmingham after the show. Jackson, Mississippi, Memphis, Nashville, same thing. You could just drive back. I guess really, man, the the, the best, most authentic uh, example of what you're talking about was our first run in Brother Kane. Uh, the record was finished. We had put out a few advanced copies, and yeah, I've never told you this story, Ryan. No, we got no. This, we got this phone call from a blues music booking agent. Now, we already had an agent. We were just starting to you know, get our thing going. But this guy reached out to our manager. He had come across the cassette tape, the advance of the record, and this guy loved it, got super stoked. And he said, hey, would the guys be interested in doing some dates opening for Buddy Guy and then a few dates with Johnny Winter? And, you know, man, on a musical kind of spiritual standpoint, that's one of the biggest strokes of luck, I think, that ever happened to me. And, and the band, because, listen, man, we would have said yes to anything, you know? You know what I mean? If, if uh, you know, if some poser L.A. Sunset strip band had us said, hey, do you guys want to come out and open it for us? We would have probably said yes, because we didn't have anything going on, Yeah, you know? But instead of taking the wrong tour, man, we were out opening proper theaters and music halls with two legends of of blues guitar, man. And, and it just was a game changer for us. And of course it was in a van, you know, we, we piled into the van, pulled a U-Haul trailer and we went as far North as like Milwaukee and Chicago, you know, and then made our way back down South. We played Atlanta with, uh, with Johnny winter and then came home. So that was, it was a real tour, man. It was exciting, you know, loading your stuff into the trailer. I, I you know, we had a couple, you know, a two man road crew and it was just legit. Just the most one of the most exciting times ever. Well, I'm always interested in, in like hearing that side, especially from musicians, because being a crew guy, you know, you kind of come into it after it's already been somewhat established. There's there's some momentum there, you know, and you don't really see the from the ground up perspective. My first tour, you know, was a well, my first real tour, I was on a bus, you know. From the standpoint that I'm at, you don't kind of see the beginning of it all. You know, when you're couch surfing and, you know, trying to make sure you have enough money for gas and, you know, hopefully the uh, opening act gives you some hospitality so you can eat. Well, see, all, and yeah, and those components never really change. And you know what? It just dawned on me, Ryan, as we're sitting here having this conversation. In a lot of ways, you know, now that I'm a full time independent solo artist and just do, you know, focus mostly on doing my own thing now. It's really like I've gone 360 degrees, man, back to kind of where I started. You know, 
keeping everything economical, you know, tight band, maybe one or two crew guys to go out and help. And I am elated to work like that. Like, I love it. I loved it 30 years ago, and I love it now. As you just said, similarities that you and I have, I mean, I've between Alice Cooper and Thin Lizzy and some of the guest appearances I've made with other acts. Yeah, man, I've flown on private planes and been on a tour bus with Coop for 10 weeks straight. And that's also exciting. It's incredible. There's, there's no question about it. But, you know, in, in all those situations, man, I was really playing someone else's music. So as a, as a guy that loves to write songs and, and, you know, is an artist in my own right, I, I, my story is unique, I think, because I had a band, Brother Kane, we did pretty good, and then I went the sideman route for quite some time, man, really about 10, 12 years before I sort of came full circle and went, you know what, I've done all this stuff, and it's great, and it's awesome, and that I still play with Thin Lizzy, and it's fun, but I just went out with my band, my trio, me, my drummer, Jared, my bass player, Robbie, dude, we loaded all the gear into my GMC Yukon. And we fit it all in there, no trailer. And we went out and did three weeks with UFO. And it was amazing. We had the best time. And I don't know, man, maybe it just reinforces that guys like you and me, I mean, we're lifers. We're doing this because we love it. We still love the music. We still enjoy the travel. And uh, we're lucky. Yep. You know, one thing I've loved about working with you is you've run the gambit, like you said. You've done multiple bus tours you play in thin lizzie so you play in insanely huge arenas but you're humble enough to be like all right you know what i love that side of it but let's go do this for real let's bootstrap it and you still love it yeah man and you know the i think the, the key component in that reality is the creativity the songwriting you know new music new material um you and I both have worked with some of the biggest acts of all time, established artists, many decades-long careers, and a catalog, a back catalog of songs, man, that are, you know, it's the music of people's childhoods. It's the soundtrack of their lives, you know. Maybe if I had those songs under my belt, you know, maybe I would be like some of those other artists, man, where you just kind of phone it in. All right, here's the tour dates. We're going to go out and tour the sheds and play the theaters and play these same songs I've been playing for 40 years and make some good money and eat some good food and then I'll come home. You know, it's not like that for me, man. You know, putting out my, my last album in early 2019, man, just thrilled to make that record. As we speak right now, I'm sitting on 10 brand new songs. I've got three of them, about 80% with the recording finished. Um, you know, once we get back up and rolling again, man, I have a mountain of work to do like songs to record i've got another acoustic record i'm working on etc etc i'm saying all that to say i appreciate what you said about the humility i hope i'm always humble i think we should all be humble but at the same time man i'm just as driven and ambitious and fired up as i was when i was that you know 19 year old kid getting the offer to play with that big band in birmingham 
nothing has changed, and and the new music is really the the essential part of that. And I I got to do that that tour you did with Winery Dogs. I can understand the feeling you probably get. My solo thing, we're jumping on board with Winery Dogs. It's gonna be awesome. Same thing with UFO. You know, just kind of that feeling of like, all right, there's momentum there, and it's just it feels great. It feels great, and you said an important word, momentum. Man, it feels good to have that. I'm so grateful to have some momentum. And the only thing that fostered that, yes, being a good live act helps. Being reliable and dependable and easy to work with, that helps. But when you add new music to those other two things, dude, I feel unstoppable. I'm unstoppable. And I just see it as the path forward for me, for really for the rest of my life. You know, 10 years from now, man, I want to be dropping another killer rock record. Shit, I'll be getting my AARP card right <laughs> You know? Yeah, man. Well, hey, I, I, I can't see you selling insurance, so I, I'm not worried about you not making music at some point. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. i got a couple questions here for you. So what, out of all the venues you've played, and you've played a lot, and you can pick a couple here because, you know, there's different types of venues, but what, what is the coolest venue you've played? The, the one that pops into my mind is a cliche for those of us that have been fortunate enough to play there. And that would be Madison Square Garden in New York City. I played it one time. Brother Kane opened for Aerosmith in 1994. I literally, I'd never forget it, Ryan. I literally picked up the payphone in the hallway and called my mom. And I said, Mom, this is a big one. <laughs> this, is, this, this is about as big as it gets. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, son, I'm just so proud of you. You play Madison Square Garden. And, of course, she tells it back to all her friends as if, you know, if we're the ones headlining. Yeah. <laughs> yep. As you made it sound. But um, a lot of great venues, man. Red Rocks in Denver, outside of Denver, is certainly special and memorable. Pine Knob in Detroit. It's such a special outdoor venue for me for musical and personal reasons. That's basically where I met my wife, was it? Was it Pine Knob outside Detroit? They call it something else now. I think the DT Energy. Oh, some cool, something like some that. cool name like that, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess some corporate, some corporate name. It's, it's always going to be Pine Knob yeah, to me. Yeah. But um, ultimately, I, I think I probably enjoy playing in theaters sonically and musically even more than I do the bigger rooms uh, just because I feel like I can hear myself better. I can hear the band better. I can hear the audience better in, you know, in theaters. So I enjoy that as well. It's a totally different thing. There's, there's really cool aspects of playing a small club. You know, there's the intimacy and there's the theaters where there's still the intimacy, but it's uh, spread out a little more open. And then the, arenas and and places like red rocks and the sheds and stuff like that you know just got this huge open feel and you know there's there's aspects to all three of those things that are just kind of surreal sometimes especially when you get 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 into the legendary places like madison square garden or ryan i have a great story related to madison square garden so at the end of that aerosmith tour we came back home to birmingham and we get a phone call from our office that our publicist is also, at that time, the publicist for Michael Jordan. And this is when Michael Jordan was playing baseball 
for the Birmingham Barons minor <laughs> league baseball team. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. So this publicist had put it out to our manager and said, hey, if any of the guys ever want to go down and see a baseball game and meet Michael Jordan, I can make that happen. Bro, I went the next night. You know, as soon as I heard, I'm like, what? <laughs> Crazy. So I took my wife and the kids down there, and my drummer, Scott Collier, he went because he's a huge sports fan, but in particular, a huge Michael Jordan fan. So we go down to the game. We meet our publicist. She takes us, you know, down to the dugout area, you know, underneath, the, you know, where the locker rooms are and all that. Sure enough, man, out comes Michael Jordan in his baseball uniform. And we're thrilled. And he's so cool. He comes over, shakes our hand. Hey, fellas, how's it going? He said, Pam was telling me you, you guys are the rock and roll band, Brother Kane. He goes, I've heard, I've heard of Brother Kane. You guys been on the road and. Like, yeah, man, we just did a tour with Aerosmith. And he's like, oh, my God, Aerosmith, that's incredible. And uh, I said, Michael, it's one of the biggest things that's ever happened to us, man. We did about a dozen cities and up the East Coast. We got to play Madison Square Garden. What a dream, man, to get to play a room like that. I said, man, we loved playing Madison Square Garden. Jordan goes, yeah, man, I love playing that room, too. <laughs> <laughs> the three of us cracked up, you know, because he's basically saying, yeah, man, that's cool. You guys got to open for Aerosmith. He goes, well, I own the New York Knicks because I've whipped them every time I go and play in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. That's just, that's funny. That's hilarious. Special. Yeah, man. Special. So what's, uh, what's the coolest country you've gotten to visit? Man, I love the UK, you mm -hmm. know, the, the the United Kingdom in general. I've spent a good amount of time in Europe, so, uh, you know, I also love Sweden. I really love Germany, man. I've met some of the greatest people in Germany, friends that I have to this day that I keep in touch with. I only went to South America once. I did a short run down there with Alice one time, and I loved it. Sao Paulo was memorable and special. And I, I love the international travel. I love to go all those places, man. Um, I've only been to Japan twice, but loved it. Um, Australia is really special. I played there several times with Alice. He's got a huge following there, so you know I love I love those places, man. But I'm definitely partial to uh, to the United Kingdom and, uh, and and to Sweden. I love Stockholm, Gothenburg, great cities, man. Yeah, that's awesome, man. All right, so this next question might be touchy, but what's the craziest thing that you've ever had to deal with or happen to you on the road that you can tell without ending up in jail or and somebody else ended up in jail? <laughs> Man, there's so many. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many. There's so many, and, um, you know, because I know we're going to hang up and I'm going to go, oh, I should have told you yeah, about yeah. that one. <laughs> um, let's see. I remember one time I was in Memphis, Tennessee. This was before, right before Brother Kane. I was playing in a band there called the Delta Rebels. And it was a rough and tumble band, kind of mixed between like Skinner and ACDC. We had driven to this gig in separate cars. No. 
the gear was in a truck, like a rider truck. And then we went in my car. I had like a Toyota that I drove. So everybody piles into that car. So we go do the gig down in, uh, I think it was uh, Senatobia, Mississippi, which is about 45 minutes south of Memphis. It was a biker bar. Had a great time, a great gig. A lot of beers, you know, as you do. So we get loaded up. We get in the car. We start driving back. I'm a little overserved. I'm not going <laughs> to deny that. Well, sure enough, man, we get pulled over. And, dude, I am in full-blown Guns N' Roses rock, dude. Get up. You know, black stretch jeans inside my black cowboy boots and a leather jacket and a cut-up Harley-Davidson T-shirt. Ryan, I'm all of 20 three years old man i mean i'm just a kid uh, clearly man i must have been weaving and so this cop pulls me over and i walk back in this outfit you know in the, this get up of clothing sitting in the back seat and he gives me the breathalyzer thing you know to take the test and i and as i as i'm starting to to breathe into it i'm like okay i'm screwed i'm about to get a dui for the first time in my life and um as I'm, you know, executing the test, he gets a call over the radio that there had been like a robbery at a, you know, like a 7-Eleven gas station kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget it, man, word for word. He said, uh, Roger, that car 72, uh, you know, car 72 en route. And he put his hat back on. He started his engine put the radio down he says all right son this is your lucky night he <laughs> said you get back in that toyota and you get your ass back to memphis and don't ever let me see you driving in this condition ever again that's pretty crazy that qualifies as crazy and memorable i i don't know that i've ever gotten behind the wheel of a car ever again yeah. over served i am fast mm -hmm. to call a taxi yeah. or ask for a ride home or stay somewhere and sleep it off from that from that day forward um and for those of you who, who are starting out in this business the dui can basically ruin your career because you can't get into any country if you had a dui on your record and, or it's really expensive to get it off of there so just don't drink and drive <laughs> yeah man, it would have complete it would have completely compromised the massive amount of touring that i started doing shortly yeah. after that yeah. man, you know because brother kane was always going into canada we went to Europe a couple times, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, there was always shenanigans, man. You, you put a bunch of guys on a tour bus for weeks at a time. I can't tell you, man, how many times you wake up in the morning on the tour bus to go get coffee. There'd be some random person asleep <laughs> on the front lounge. Like, who the fuck is that and why are they here? Yeah. And they don't even know why they're there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But, you know, but rock and roll is supposed to be like joining the circus. Yeah. That's part of the appeal. That's part of the fun and the excitement. And especially when you're young and it's you don't have a family yet, so you're not really missing your your wife and kids yet. It's it's just you and a gang of guys against the world. It's just no better feeling than that. Man. It's just funny because like you hear all the stories and then we're out on tour and, and your son ends up coming out with us and everybody's just like well behaved and you know there's no craziness going on which is is you know once you kind of grow up a little bit things mellow out a lot <laughs> 
And well, they and, and some of that mellowing out, man, is really just self-preservation. You want it to mellow out. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? It's still fun when you're not doing all that crazy stuff. But yeah, I totally get it. I mean, I've I've seen it. You you know who I work with, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. The, of course. There's, no, man, I should be asking you for the story. Oh uh, well, I, I'll I'll somebody will end up in jail. Maybe even me if I tell the whole story there. <laughs> yeah, I, right. I'm, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you about it later. Yeah. There's okay. some. <laughs> and if you guys see me or, or talk to me at the bar, I'll tell you all the good stories. <laughs> so we can't we can't have you losing your job. No, Ryan. no, no. I, got, yeah. Don't worry. I won't tell anybody nothing. <laughs> but, but you know, man, the the I have said before that I feel like music has brought me every good thing that has ever happened in my life. Everything. My family my art, my health, experiences that just I just would have never dreamed possible, man. You know, I've, I've been doing it for 30 years, man. I hope I can do it for at least another 20, 25 more. You know, I mean, that's that's the great thing about some of these these guys that I've had a chance to work with, like Alice Cooper and Scott Gorham. They're technically senior citizens now, man, and they're gone. <laughs> They're going strong. Yeah, they're they're going as strong as ever. So it's exciting. It's very cool. All right. So last question I got for you is: What advice do you have for people that are kind of just starting out in the music business that might kind of be going through the same kind of thing you did in the in the early days? It's two really simple things. All you have to do is love it and work very hard. And if you love it, it's not work. It's just activity. It's just you're creating opportunities. You're learning more skills. You're gaining more experiences. So in that order, you have to love it. If you don't love it, man, go do something else because this business is too hard. There's too many potholes. There's too many ways to, to get into trouble, into challenging situations, and certainly to get your heart broken, man. And I don't just mean in relationship ways. I mean just by the business itself, yep. man. It's a tough, tough business. Yep. But it was certainly the path for me, man. I just loved music. I, it never occurred to me to, to do it for a living. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. So nobody had to make me practice or buy records or go to shows or read magazines or ask questions. or God, man, I was a nerd about asking questions to anybody I met that was older than me that played or sang or wrote songs and, you know, thank God for that thirst for knowledge. And you just got to raise your hand and ask a question and you'll be amazed that people, they'll be happy to help you and, and show you the way. So I know that's kind of an overstatement, but it is really and truly that simple. Oh yeah. You have to love it. You got to work hard. Mm -hmm. That's why, that's why you're so successful at what you do, Ryan. Yeah. You're always working hard, man. You've got multiple irons in the fire. There's so many hats that you can wear in any situation. It's like I'm thinking about the number of times that you and I have toured together. And every question I ask you, I always get a, oh, yeah, man, I can do that. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, you, you know Jeff Meredith. Jeff Meredith, like oh, about a year ago, did another podcast with me. And, and I, I, I got to agree with him. He, he kind of had the whole fake it till you make it mentality well there's truth in that for sure yeah absolutely but there's also you know step back when you're not sure it's like you just said there's people in this business that are always going to have your back and help you 
And those are the people you need to be around most. Stick with the people that want to teach you, that want you to grow, and put yourself in situations where you can get good opportunities. I love that, brother. I love that, and I agree with you 100%. You just kind of never know what, what path is going to go was, is going to happen. Uh, Thin Lizzy's and Black Star Riders manager, Adam Parsons, manages this band, uh, Stiff Little Fingers. And, uh, you know, I just, so somebody, their tour manager couldn't do a gig, and like two days before they're supposed to leave, they throw me on the thing. And, you know, that just, that happened, and the series of events that led to this conversation just happened because I put myself out there and I was buddies with somebody. It paid off, <laughs> obviously. But you know what I mean? And it just, you just put yourself in good situations and good things will happen. Yeah. I mean, you, you're living proof of it, Ryan. You're always working hard. You leave a good impression. Listen, man, all, all those cliches that your uh, 4-H club teacher or your football coach or your you know, guidance counselor used to say, all those cliches are true, man. You want to show up at work early. Mm-hmm. You want to stay there late. You want to leave a good impression and never burn any bridges. Mm-mm. It's the same in music as it is any other mm-hmm. business. You never know who is going to step up and have your back. You never know. Because I've been surprised a million times, too. I'm sure you have, too. Bro, every gig on my resume was a fluke mm-hmm. how it happened. I didn't go after the Alice Cooper gig. I got a random phone call out of nowhere. But someone that knew me and respected me said, wow, Damon Johnson could be a good fit for this band. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to go and audition. And if it hasn't been for that friend and that relationship and his confidence in me, I would have never gotten that call. Yeah. Yep. And I can I can trace my entire career back to something like that. You know, it just, you know, make friends. It's all about making friends. But anyway, Damon, thank you so much for, uh, for hopping on the phone with me here. And if people want to find out about you, where do they need to go? Thank you, Ryan. It's been a pleasure, man, always talking with you. Thanks. Uh, yeah, man, please send folks to my website, DamonJohnson.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at official Damon Johnson. Official Damon Johnson, not that, not that amateur, unofficial Damon Johnson. That's right, man. Don't, <laughs> yeah, don't follow the unofficial Damon Johnson. Yeah. Make sure it's official. And then my Twitter handle is Damon J Official, and I'm probably on Twitter more than anything. So. And what's your latest record? My latest album is called Memoirs of an Uprising put it out on my own label double dragon records and i just started in the studio with rock legend producer nick rascalinix oh, on the follow-up and nick is going to produce Dude. this time and um you can imagine the thrill for me to have somebody like that be so excited about my new songs all that, right uh, i'm you know maybe i'll put this in the podcast maybe not but next time you're in the studio with him if there's a possibility i could swing by that would be awesome of course, dude. Of course, I've, I've of met course, him. Of I've met him before, and he's such a cool guy. But yeah, I'd love to hang out with him. No, he's the total coolest. Yeah. Of course, right? Yeah. You'd be welcome anytime, man. Cool, dude. Well, thank you, Damon. I really appreciate it, dude. And uh, we need to grab a beer for sure. We're gonna grab a beer, and we need to do a run of tour dates together, uh, bro. Yep, absolutely. I'm there. All right, my man. All right, thanks, buddy. Lexi.
Hey everybody, thanks for listening to Bus Call. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash buscall. Patreon members will get the podcast a week before it's released to the public, and they can also sign up to have advance notice of who's going to be on and the opportunity to ask questions. Please take some time to visit show-logistics.com. We've dedicated the first page to sell merch to raise money for Crew Nation's Global Relief Fund. As you know, with COVID-19, basically all touring has stopped for the foreseeable future, and there's thousands and thousands of crew out of work, and we're donating all the profits many of the merch sold there straight to Crew Nation. Thanks so much again, and please rate, review, and subscribe.